The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we are on a multi-decade mission to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Before we get down to business today... Quick announcements. Tomorrow night is the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati's monthly in-person meeting. So if you are actually listening to me from some reasonable radius of Cincinnati, you are, of course, invited to join us for that meeting, which will be held uh, here in Cincinnati at the Holiday Inn in Westchester. The Order of the evening is networking, followed by a uh, an early bird workshop at 6 o'clock on how to interview sellers. That's going to be kind of a hands-on workshop. You'll have a seller interview form in front of you, and we'll talk through how to ask each question and why. And then at 7.30, we have got a panel of local, active, experienced investors having a debate about which one of their strategies is the very best one for 2022. Knowing that 2022 is handing us a changing market very quickly. Five, uh, half a point raise in interest rates today. That's That's not going to have no effect on the real estate market. So they're going to argue through why wholesaling or retailing or lending or note buying or owning rentals or owning short-term rentals is the best, safest, most profitable strategy for 2022 as it is now and as it is unfolding. You need to grab a pass to come to that meeting so that uh, we know you're coming. We have a seat for you. Uh, you can do that at CincinnatiRia.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. Today, we are going to talk about one of those little bit more intermediate-ish uh, topics that we we try to, you know, meet you where you are here on Real Life Real Estate. Not everybody's brand new. Not everybody's super advanced. Some people are in the middle, getting to the point where they can start thinking about things like using their retirement plan to... Uh, invest in real estate and real estate related assets. And 
the reason this is not a beginner show today is we're not going to talk about what's an IRA and can you really do real estate. If you want to hear about that, you can go back into our archive at realliferealestate.com and just search IRAs. And we've done tons of shows about that super basic stuff. We're going to talk today about leverage in retirement plans, about using other people's money to buy more asset than you can just with the cash in your retirement plan, which is, of course, a way to build a relatively small one up into a relatively big one much, much faster. Here today to have this discussion with all of us is Mr. John Bowens, who's the National Education Director for Equity Trust Company. He fields these questions all day, every day of his entire life, has seen lots and lots of people do this successfully, and I'm guessing seen it more than a few people do it wrong and find themselves in trouble. And uh, he is also a retirement plan investor himself. He invests his own retirement plan funds in various kinds of real estate-related assets. He's joining us by phone, and uh, welcome, John. Thank you, Vina. Thanks for having me on the show again. Always happy to be here. And always happy to have you because there's always something new to talk about. This is, this is such a, um, the, 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 both the rules which change occasionally and just the sophistication that people and experts have about what is and is not doable and beneficial changes pretty often. I think people forget that self-directed IRAs and and even more recently 401ks are not something that have been around for a hundred years <laughs> and everything's super well established uh, in these things. So, you know, folks try things, the IRS says yay or nay, they, they, they try other things. It's a, it's kind of a, you got to keep up to date on, on what's right. going on out in the IRA world. And I'll tell you that one thing that I hear, and I'm guessing you hear a lot, is that um, a lot of folks seem to be pretty locked into the idea that you either cannot or should not leverage real estate and real estate, like notes and you know things like that, in your IRA and and, and uh, or your your retirement plan. Um, and I hear, I hear two reasons for that. You know, people say, oh no, you've got to pay cash for everything that you're going to buy with your retirement plan. I either hear if you use other people's money, you've got to pay tax, right? You know, what, what, what people will shorthand as UBIT. They call it UBIT. Or I hear you can't do it because quote, no one will loan to a retirement plan. Because you're not allowed to guarantee any loans personally. So you've heard the conventional wisdom. Tell us why it's wrong. Right. And Dina, you're absolutely correct in that there are a number of individuals that will comment that you shouldn't borrow money because your IRA is going to incur unrelated business income tax. Uh, or you may hear people say it's complex, there's extra tax returns. Uh, you want to be only strictly a cash buyer when you conduct real estate transactions with your IRA. And, and that's so far from the truth. In fact, I can tell you 
that I'm working with thousands of investors, that there are plenty of investors out there that are borrowing money. And they're either A, borrowing from a private lender or a hard money lender. So call it a non-bank institution. Or they are going out and doing like a buy and hold rental property where they're working with a non-recourse lender. And I know of a few lenders in the nation that will loan to an IRA for a buy and hold type transaction. So you have to look at, are you looking to do a buy and hold type transaction or are you looking to do a fix and flip type transaction? If it's a fix and flip type transaction, then you're going to be looking to private lenders or hard money lenders that will loan on what's called a non-recourse basis, which you have it absolutely correct, Vina, which is when your IRA borrows the money, you personally as the account owner cannot sign a personal guarantee. And the reason why is it's considered a prohibited transaction. The tax code considers it a prohibited transaction. You can't guarantee debt that your IRA takes on. If you're doing, again, a buy and hold type transaction, there are actually some national banks that will loan to IRAs. As it relates to unrelated business income tax, just to give people the skinny version on the back of a cocktail napkin, and you can you can perform these calculations on your own if you understand how it works. Let's say I buy a property for 100000 and I borrow 50000 My indebtedness is what we call that is 50%. So what that means is 50% of all of our net profit. And when I say net profit, I'm talking about our profit after all of our operating expense deductions. So interest, taxes, insurance, utilities, property management, so on and so forth. And then also depreciation. This is the one instance where you can actually take advantage of depreciation because you have a taxable event. When your IRA owns a property free and clear, you don't have to worry about depreciation because you have no taxable income. It's a tax-exempt investment. But in this case, you have the ability to write off those expenses. In some instances, I see where investors actually show a loss because of the paper loss of depreciation or their tax exposure is so minimal that the UBIT tax is, is negligible. So they're not really worried about it. They're, they're still making profit. And uh, to your point, Avina, you're in a position where you're leveraged and you can either buy more properties and increase your yield, uh, or you can buy more properties and through appreciation and through your renters paying down the mortgage, essentially, you could eventually own free and clear properties in your IRA. And the, and the last thing that I'll mention and then I'll give it back to you, Vina, is you could also consider um, buying on seller financing. And to give you just one quick example, uh, this is a, a client that I've been working with for a number of years. Back in 2013, he bought a property for $55,000. This is in Dallas, Texas, by the way. Bought the property for $55,000, and he negotiated a seller financing. So his IRA, his Roth IRA, which is an after-tax funded account, grows tax-free. You take the money out. You don't pay taxes. So he used his Roth IRA. He made an offer of 55, five down, and the seller carried the $50,000 in financing. So he was about 91% leveraged. And the reason why he did it this way is because he needed about 86000 for the purchase and rehab, but he didn't have $86,000 in his Roth IRA. He, he only had about 40000 of change. So he put five down on the deal. He rehabbed the house. It was about 30000 and some change on the rehab. And he was paying down the note over the course of that rehab, which is only for about five months at a very low interest rate. So that amount was negligible. And then he turned around and he sold the property and made a profit. Now, his, his profit was around 30, 
five to thirty-six thousand dollars, he paid about fourteen thousand dollars in unrelated business income tax. But he made over a twenty thousand dollar profit on the transaction with only thirty-six thousand dollars in the deal. So he made over a fifty percent cash on cash return on the investment. Yes, he paid fourteen thousand dollars in taxes, but that enabled him to to beef up his IRA, so to speak, to grow it in a meaningful way. And now his name is Tim, by the way. Tim is on his way to doing private lending transactions to other investors. So he's funding other real estate investors' projects. Uh, He is buy and hold rentals that he owns free and clear. And so now he no longer has to worry about the UBIT tax. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So sometimes it's it's okay to, to swallow that by the way, 40% tax. This is, you know, this isn't, this isn't a 15% tax that you might be used to paying on the income that you're making outside of your IRA. Uh, we're swallowing it. So yeah, it's a, it's a 30. So in tax year 2022 here, it's a 37% tax and there could be a state tax 40 out of the 50 states require it. So I, I, I think you're about right, mm-hmm. you know, which is it could be close to 40 percent. Uh, some look at it if they're already at the highest tax bracket, uh, then in a way, uh, really, the, the tax rate is no different. It's a wash. From their perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. So but that but but to do to do that a few times, maybe early on, just to get more investable capital. And so those IRAs can. You, you know, you got, you can't look at, you can't necessarily look at what's it doing to me on this deal, but what does this deal do for me in the next deal and the next deal and the next deal? That's correct. Yep. So we need to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some, some plans and some strategies where the whole unrelated business income tax thing is just, it just, kind of null and void and uh, things that you might not have thought about doing in your self-directed IRA. We're also going to take your questions. You can either call them in at 877-772-9658 or you can send them via email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to John Bowens about creative deal structures in an IRA or other self-directed retirement plan. So kind of a, kind of a twofold lesson today. Let's, we've, we talk lots here about creative deal structures. We've talked a fair amount about how and why you might want to do deals in your self-directed retirement plan. Today, we're kind of combining those thoughts because it is a constant worldwide, nationwide issue that uh, investors say, I know I need to build up my retirement funds, my retirement account. I know that you can do it in real estate. The problem is with the contributions they let me make, which is only $5,500 a year, it's going to take me 10 years to even have enough money to buy the cheapest piece of land I can find in my area. And uh, that's that's wrong thinking. I'm not judging y'all if you're thinking that way. I'm just saying... If you have $5,500 and you know how to leverage it like Tim from Texas did in the previous example, you can have a house, a whole house, 
with that $5,500. You don't need to, you don't need to wait until you've got $55,000 so that you can go buy whatever that will buy for you where you live. We're also, again, taking your questions at 877-772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. So, uh, John, a couple of more quick technicalities, just so like everybody's on the same page about all the different things we're talking about here. Um, you kept saying IRA, UBIT, IRA, UBIT, IRA, UBIT. Not everybody actually has an IRA. There, there are people who have self-directed 401ks instead, and the rules are a little bit different for borrowing money on real estate in a 401k. Yes. That, that's a great point, Vina, which is if one has a, we'll call it a solo 401k, because a lot of real estate entrepreneurs have businesses or are self-employed, and they would be eligible for a solo 401k. Now, you got to make sure you're eligible, and we can talk about that on a separate occasion. But let's assume one is eligible, and they have a solo 401k. Under solo 401k or under 401k rules in general, if you buy a property with a non-recourse loan, so as long as the non-recourse loan is structured properly under the tax code 514, there's specific criteria that have to be met. For all intents and purposes, most loans are going to meet the criteria. So my 401k buys the property with the debt, and then I have no unrelated business income tax as it relates to that what's called acquisition indebtedness. So long story short, Solo 401k does the non-recourse leveraged real estate transaction, and we avoid the unrelated business income tax, which makes solo 401ks a highly attractive, self-directed vehicle for real estate investors and real estate entrepreneurs. Now, one point of caution, and I'll go back to my Tim example. So Tim bought a property on owner financing. So one is probably thinking, oh, I'll go to, I can go out with my solo 401k and buy properties on owner financing, and I avoid the UBIT. Well, unfortunately, Tim would not have avoided the UBIT because under the criteria, under the rules, not all financing is exempt from the UBIT. In a, not, in a, a non-recourse seller finance loan, if I buy the property and the seller carries the financing, that would not qualify. So there's a there's a few nuances that you have to understand. You just got to understand the rules before you go into these types of transactions. But I think you hit the nail on the head, Vina. Uh, important for viewers to keep in mind that if they qualify for a solo 401k, it can be a, a great tool for these leveraged real estate transactions. And quickly on the eligibility, in order to have a solo 401k, you have to be a self-employed individual or have business income. And you can't have any employees with the exception of a spouse. And you absolutely, absolutely have to have active earned income. I can't tell you how many folks reach out to me and say, John, I went to a seminar or a conference and I heard that I need to open a solo 401k and I opened a solo 401k and all I have is passive income from my rental properties. Well, under the guidelines directly from the IRS, if you go to the IRS website, it states very clearly that you're not eligible to have a 401k unless you're making recurring and substantial contributions. And you can't make contributions unless you have active earned income. Earned income meaning income that you're paying Medicare and Social Security tax on. 
So mm-hmm. some rules that, you know, folks would need to understand, but all certainly items that folks as real estate investors can work through and devise plans and strategies around making sure that they're doing things the right way. Yes, because just because you don't have earned income doesn't mean you can't have earned income. Yep, that's you, correct. You, you could you could do what none of those folks who are living off their passive investments want to do, which is go get a job. Or you could convert some of your, some of the income that you are getting that the IRS does not consider to be self-employment income into self-employment income, pay the tax, and then have the money that you're allowed to contribute to the IRA. The other thing about our earlier discussion was when, when people talk about leverage in real estate, they're almost always talking about borrowed money, whether it's whether it's I borrowed it from a private lender, I borrowed it from a bank, I borrowed it from the seller, whatever the situation may be. And it's it's that idea of of financing of of borrowed money that actually triggers the UBIT. And there are ways to sort of use leverage without actually using borrowed money. And that's, that's the thing that, that I want to get to. Um, we do need to talk through one other technicality though, before we jump into that. And that is, there's undoubtedly tons of listeners going, this, this is, this is kind of great. I have a, and I'm putting this in air quotes. You can't see me, but I am self-directed retirement plan with my local bank. So I'm going to call up my local bank and tell them that I want to buy a piece of real estate with my quote self-directed IRA. Does it, does it actually matter? Uh, as long as it's self-directed, can I do this or does it matter who the custodian administrator is? It's a great question and it's a common one because a lot of folks that I, I encounter the assumption is that their IRA or their retirement plan they have now, they can simply call up the bank or the custodian or financial institution or their financial advisor, and they can self-direct that retirement plan. And unfortunately, in most instances, they cannot. There's only a handful of firms out there in the industry that will allow you to what is called self-direct your IRA. And you have to be careful because There are some firms that will call it a self-directed IRA, but the only thing you can self-direct your money into is stocks, mutual funds, ETFs. So you have some some freedom with respect to publicly traded assets, but you're not going to have the freedom to be able to go out and buy real estate, make loans, uh, invest in trust deeds, invest in real estate partnerships, wholesaling, real estate options, and all of the, the creative ways that that self-directed investors take advantage of taking control of their retirement funds and investing in non-stock market-based assets. Um, So ultimately what folks would would need to do is they would need to, you know, do some, do some research and find companies that operate in the true self-directed, what we call alternative asset custodial business and uh, have conversations with those firms, talk about their products and services. And then ultimately they would, transfer or roll over their retirement monies into a self-directed IRA, and there wouldn't be any taxes or penalties. They're just moving from one account to another, and then they would have the ability to be able to go out and find real estate transactions and actually use the IRA dollars for that. 
Excellent. One other technicality so that people don't start start dreaming dreams of uh I will do this deal with my kids <laughs> between between my IRA and my kids or my kids' IRA and me personally. Every strategy we're going to talk about for the rest of the show involves other people in some way. It involves other other people's money, other people's efforts, other people's something. There are people that either we cannot do business with or we have to be extremely careful in how we set up business with. Let's go ahead and run through those. Yes, so Vina... Uh, the skinny version is we have disqualified persons to your IRA. Disqualified persons would include you to your IRA, your spouse, your children, your parents, your grandparents. Just think anyone up and down the family tree. And then if you have an LLC for your real estate investing, a corporation, other type of entity, those are just extensions of you. Those are disqualified persons. So the tax code says that you can't transact between a disqualified person and your IRA plan. Simply put, what that means is if you own a property personally, there's going to be no way to get that into your IRA. Your IRA can't buy it from yourself. You can't take your IRA money and loan it to yourself. And this is a common misconception that when I use my IRA to buy a property, I'm actually borrowing, borrowing against my IRA. You're not borrowing against the IRA. Your IRA is actually going out and buying a property, taking title, paying for expenses, and then profits go back into the IRA. Or like myself, one of my investment strategies personally is making loans to other real estate investors. So for example, two weeks ago, I made a $100,000 loan to a local fix and flipper. This is somebody that I met at my local real estate investor association, developer poor with. He had a deal, he needed financing for that deal. So I funded his deal. My IRA money made a loan to this individual who's a pro rehabber, who has experience with rehabs. My IRA has a first lien position on that property. And then all the interest goes back into my IRA tax-free, of course, tax-exempt. All the principal and interest goes back into the, to the retirement plan. So I don't want to get too far ahead of my skis in terms of getting into private lending. Uh, but to get back to the rules, you just have to understand who disqualified persons are and then the transactions, which are, are pretty simple. And that doesn't mean that you can't do business with a disqualified person because technically, if you do it right, you could partner your IRA money with your non-IRA money. So, for example, I bought a rental property 55% with my Roth account, 35% with my traditional account, and then 10% me personally. And then I make sure that all my profits and expenses flow 55, 35, and 10. I could partner with my spouse. I could partner with my children. I just have to make sure everything is done proportionally. Mm-hmm. All right. So with all that out of the way, I think we've got it all out of the way. <laughs> Although while we've been talking, the questions have been building up in the email box. So we'll see if, if folks have other questions related to the technicalities. We need to move on to the structures. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. If you have any questions about making these kind of like creative deal structure investments in your retirement plan, Give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. 
I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Bowens, who, by the way, is putting on a most-of-the-day seminar on Saturday. I think it's from 10 to 3 Eastern Time online um, for RIA of Greater Cincinnati, and that's that's coming up this Saturday. And uh, it's it's kind of the same topic, except uh, lots of detail into more strategies than we're going to get to today. And I think, John, that you're also going to tackle one of the kind of hard parts. You know, once people get their brain around, yes, I can do creative yield structures in my self-directed plan. And yes, I know how to do those deal structures because, you know, I'm a real estate investor and that's the kind of thing we study. And I Mm -hmm. found the deal. Then the next moment of, ah, is what paperwork am I supposed to be? This isn't, this isn't like doing it myself where I just pull out a purchase agreement and we sign it and da, 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 da. There's, there's, there's specialized paperwork that has to be done when you're doing it in a retirement plan. And I think you're, you're, you're actually going to tackle some of that, you know, here's what the direction of investments look like. And here's the steps you will have to take. And here's, you need to leave yourself a little cushion of time because someone else is actually signing a lot of the documentation and that's not instantaneous. That's, that's correct. Vina. Uh, you know, the operation, so to speak, and, and docking the deal, and I think what folks will find is it's not all that intimidating. Uh, it's, it's not all that scary. You just have to understand the rules. And self-directed IRAs are not something that we're taught uh, academically. Uh, you know, I, I studied finance and real estate finance academically for a number of years, and no one ever told me about a self-directed IRA. I, I, didn't, I didn't learn about it until I came to Equity Trust Company. And so that, and that's okay. You know, it's important for folks to understand that, you know, at first things are going to seem a little bit foreign, but once they get into the nooks and crannies of this, I think that they'll discover that, uh, it can be actually an easier way, uh, from a, from a paperwork and, and record keeping and tax perspective, uh, compared to investing outside of your IRA. Now, we're always going to invest outside of our IRA and then also invest inside of our IRA. It's not as if we're going to do every deal inside of our IRA. But uh, in terms of using an IRA where we left off last talking about partnering, uh, the one thing that we will talk about on Saturday in depth is this whole concept of a joint venture. And, Vina, you brought it up before with respect to, well, we don't always have to borrow money to leverage or use another person's money. And a great example of that is an investor that I worked with, started working with them about five or so years ago. And I was two investors and one investor had a lot of cash and it was just sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. And then another investor had only a little bit of money in their IRA and couldn't find ways to grow the IRA. It was a small dollar IRA and they couldn't figure out how, how they could do this, but they, they could find properties. They could find good investments. And so his name is Scott and he put together a real estate joint venture with his partner, Kate, and he only had $24,000 in the real estate joint venture to do a fix-and-flip transaction. It was a single-family home fix-and-flip transaction. He had 24000 in, and he ended up on that one individual transaction making over $42,000 in profit. So he, he pumped up his, his Roth IRA from about 24000 
to over $66,000, and that was tax-free. There wasn't unrelated business income tax. Kate didn't make a loan to his IRA. It was a, it was a real estate joint venture. And so those are also transactions that investors can consider, especially if they're starting with a small-dollar Roth IRA or maybe even a health savings account. Dean, I know you're, you're a big proponent of the health savings account, and you actively use the health savings to self-direct. And so that's another option for investors out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's let's um let's just be real specific in the breakdown of of the deal you just outlined versus the first deal you talked about. Scott did not borrow the money he needed to do this fix and flip from Kate. She was his partner. It it, yes. it wasn't financing, quote unquote. It was that Kate what Kate was in for, I assume, a sizable chunk <laughs> of that deal in return for uh, putting putting the money up that was needed to complete the deal. And the other really interesting thing about that arrangement of a joint venture on a fix and flip when it's your IRA involved is that if your partner who's 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 outside, right, who doesn't not doing it in an IRA, they're just a a person with money they want to invest, if they can do things like oversee the rehab, that provides a second benefit to you because you're you're, you're you need to be fairly circumspect about the amount of actual work you you personally are doing on IRA deals. So that is correct. Joint ventures could provide the opportunity not just to get the money to to make up whatever you're short in your IRA, but also to have a person out here who is there's no problem with with Kate meeting contractors and going to Home Depot and picking up materials. And all, no problem with her doing it whatsoever, where there could be a problem with Scott doing it because it could be viewed as a personal service and also. The other thing I like about your story there, John, I mean, I know I know what you're focused on is Scott's IRA made a bunch of money, but he got to partner with somebody who also, I'm guessing, made a bunch of money, and then they can do future deals together. Absolutely. You know, and I, I should emphasize that part of the story, Vina, because what Scott did is he identified a money partner that, that he met at his local real estate investor association meeting. And she had about $200,000 is what it came out to be, about $200,000 she put in the deal. And it had been earning little to no interest in her – it was actually her self-directed Roth IRA and her health savings account, so two self-directed tax-advantaged accounts. And again, it was earning little to no interest. And so he was able to help her put her money to use and deploy her capital, get it working out in the street for her. And she made a 9% return. If we annualized it on the investment, it'd be an 18% return. Mm -hmm. So she was happy. It was a passive investment for her. She got her money working for her. Scott finally put a deal together after three years of trying to figure this out and not being able to to solve for how to grow a small IRA. And it was simple. He came to the workshop and he saw the joint venture sample document and he learned about, okay, I can't do, to your point, Vina, I can't do the work myself. We have a contractor that's going to be doing that. We have that drafted in the joint venture agreement. That's an important component of, of the drafting of the documents. And again, when it was all said and done, uh, everybody won on the transaction. You know, the contractor won, and Scott won. His Roth IRA won, obviously. Um, and, and then, of course, 
you know, the custodian in play as well wins as they're able to help a customer in Mm -hmm. this case. Mm -hmm. So I like that story even better because Kate also got to use her smaller dollar IRA and get a big return on it. So so win-win all the way around there. And we should point out, John, that flips are not the only use for joint ventures. Uh, I've joint ventured my retirement plan with other people's retirement plan on mortgages that I didn't have all the money to fully fund. I've joint ventured my uh, retirement plans on with other people on options that I wanted to buy, but the option fee was large enough that my plan didn't have all the money. So I found somebody else with an IRA who also liked options and we were able to joint venture and and with a joint venture agreement uh, sort of co-buy the option. There's Once you start thinking about, I don't need to find somebody who's got money they want to lend me. I need, I've got, I need to find somebody who's got money they want to invest and be part of the deal. The whole world opens up to you and your IRA. Yeah, that's absolutely correct, Vina. Uh, partnering on private debt, call it private loans, uh, can make, you can make a huge or make a huge impact. Um, I actually partner my two accounts. I have a traditional tax deferred account, Roth account, and the last deal I funded, it was actually sixty five thirty five, sixty five percent my Roth and thirty five percent my traditional. Or if I'm in a situation where I don't have enough capital to fund the loan from let's say my Roth account, I'll partner my IRA with my spouse's IRA. And then I just make sure the profits go back in proportionally. But you bring up a great point, which is potentially partnering with a non-related party. And and then there's a, there's a different negotiation that, that can come into play there. And then also, if you live in a state that permits it, an equity participation loan, which is instead of charging just interest, I'm charging a percentage of the net profit. We call that a, a shared appreciation or or equity participation loan. And this is where you want to work with an attorney in your state because in, in some states there are certain restrictions with respect to this. But, you know, that's another great way to be able to grow your IRA in a, in a very meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Can we go to questions, John? I know, I know we had other things we wanted to discuss, but there are tons of questions sitting here in my inbox yeah, saw- that... <laughs> I'm not going to be yeah, able to answer them, them after you're gone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can I can knock those out really quick. I, I saw one from um, an investor that asked, he rolled over his 401k into a self-directed IRA, but he actually thinks he should have rolled it over to a self-directed solo 401k. Um, as long as it's a tax-deferred account, which it probably is, you can simply take that IRA and then roll it right into a solo 401k, providing that you qualify and you can. There's plenty of professionals and custodians out there that you can connect with, that can can help you with that, and make sure that you are in fact qualified. But you can simply roll that right over into the solo 401k. The only thing you couldn't do is take a Roth IRA and roll it over into a solo 401k. Okay. Okay. And um, we have a question here from uh let's see it's actually a signed email yes it's from mike uh he says i have two properties in a and then there's a blank space that i want to say probably was meant to say ira ira or 401k right now Uh, i would love to find a way to tie these things together 
I've got 30,000 in my solo one 401k, 30,000 or so remaining in my Roth and either cash or borrowed funds to purchase a brand new four bedroom, two bath house for about 310. I recently purchased three of these new houses for cash and I'm very happy with them. Would like to get a decent rate on mortgages for these two houses so that I can purchase another house and pay cash for it. So he's got, he's got some money. He's got 60,000. He needs to buy a property for 310. But the thing that sort of alarms me about the first part of this question is he says he'd like to get about a 5% rate on the mortgage on that $310,000, which is not the rates I'm seeing from the banks who will loan non-recourse to an IRA. Right. That's correct. You know, the interest rates on the non-recourse loans are going to be slightly higher. Um, Good news is, is they're not hard money rates. Uh, So, you know, these banks are in these loans for the long term, their portfolio loans, obviously with interest rates rising, um, you know, that's going to be a little less favorable than it was six months ago, two years ago, when a lot of investors were out there seeking these types of, of loans. Not to say that they aren't uh, still, uh, but it was just you know, a little different interest rate climate at that point in time. Um, all that being said, one thing I'll fast forward to, Vina, and that particular to address Mike's question, is the challenge Mike is going to have is uh, having enough money down, number one, because with an IRA transaction, with a non-recourse loan, generally they're going to want to see a little bit larger down payment. Um, you're looking at maybe 50 to, at most, you're going to see 75% LTV, but usually you're going to be in the 50 to 60s range. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have a slush fund in your IRA. Sometimes it's 20% of the purchase price of the property. Uh, and that's, of course, in the event that um, you know there's a, there's a vacancy that you're going to be able to meet those financial obligations. Mm-hmm. So that that may be a l- little tough to go to the the bank non recourse uh, marketplace. That might be a scenario where you need to look for a joint venture partner, mm-hmm. um, a money partner. So call it a, a financial friend, not so much an institution. And that that's probably going to be the preferred route in that particular circumstance. You can partner those two IRA or the solo four hundred one k and the IRA together, which is I think what Mike was asking on the front end of that question. Mm-hmm. That would be permitted. But in terms of bringing in financing. You'll want to get a little bit more creative in that case, uh, not just going out to a non-recourse lender. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, Mike, uh, think not of how do I how do I generate a five percent non-recourse loan because that's that's gonna is it impossible? No, but that's gonna be like a private lender who's super friendly <laughs> uh, to you, and and that might, that might make them disqualified if they're super friendly because they're a relative. Think instead about who do I know that would love to own a piece of this nice $310,000 house, would like to get part of the rents, part of the tax breaks, part of the appreciation, all of that sort of stuff. And how could I partner with them to get the rest of the money? Now, the rest of his question was about could he take money out of the houses he already owns in those plans? He's already got three houses in those plans that he paid cash for. And he's, he's thinking like a real estate investor and saying, how can I re-leverage properties I paid cash for to get the cash to go buy this new property? So if I have a free and clear house in my IRA, can I, can I get a non-recourse refi loan on it? Oh, fantastic question. Yes. And Yes, you can. Good news is, is most of these non-recourse lender banks, 
they prefer to do a cash-out refinance because you have a stabilized property in play. And so answer is absolutely, if you have, especially if you have multiple assets, multiple pieces of collateral, you could absolutely work with one of these non-recourse lenders. Um, I do know of a couple out there. Um, I don't know if I should mention the name on this particular forum, but certainly, um, you know, if someone was to reach out, I could uh, provide some references of some companies mm-hmm. that you could reach out to. And my understanding is most will do uh, a, a refinance. You can pull the cash out and then redeploy that cash for your next investment. Maybe at that point, actually having enough for the down payment and extra cash in the account to get a get a non-recourse loan for that next property that you're looking to buy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So couple of suggestions there. Uh, last question we're going to be able to get to is from Daphne, who says, any guidance on a Roth conversion would be appreciated. I have been above the income threshold to qualify for a Roth. So I think there's a tax hit. Calculating when, how much, waiting till I retire and my income goes down, etc. Any, any, any advice would be valuable. And John, we have about a minute and a half left. Minute and a half. Okay, so Roth conversion, that's where you convert traditional tax-deferred money to a Roth. Uh, does it make sense or does it not make sense? Much longer conversation. We really got to sharpen the pencil, pull out a spreadsheet, and run the numbers. The theory is pay the taxes now so you don't pay them later. Good example. Uh, two clients that I know, Kevin and Cynthia, started with about 100000 grew it to over a million dollars, and they did that in about 12 years. When they ran the numbers, they would pay a lot more in taxes in the long term than if they bit the bullet years ago and converted and paid the taxes then. So you got to look at your overall return on investment long term and then, of course, your tax rate in the near term as well as long term. The other part of the question, I believe, is that individual makes too much money to qualify to contribute to a Roth IRA. Those are called modified adjusted gross income limits. What they're going to want to look at and do some research on is a backdoor Roth IRA. Just do an Internet search, a backdoor Roth IRA, and all you're doing is contributing first to a traditional IRA, which everyone can do so as long as they have earned income, and then you simply convert it directly over into a Roth IRA. Again, that's called a backdoor Roth IRA. So converting tax-deferred existing funds into the Roth, whether it's a partial or a full conversion, you could do either one, do as much or as little as you want throughout the year. Uh, if you make too much money for a contribution, just do the back door into the traditional and convert to the Roth. John, we are out of time. I want to remind listeners that if this is some, if this is a topic of deep interest, something that they really feel like they need to learn more about, Cincinnati Rhea is holding a seminar this Saturday that you are the teacher for. Uh, there's a full agenda, all the all the stuff that's going to be covered at, and also registration, of course, at CincinnatiRia.com. That's Cincinnati R E I A dot com. John, appreciate your time today. Look forward to learning more from you on Saturday. Thank you, Vina. You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>